You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. This is Adam Griffin, and before I introduce you to our distinguished guests, let me first introduce my two lovely co-hosts. First, one of the OGs of the Village Church, Cassie Bryant. How are you doing today, Cassie? I'm so great. If you want to know how to make a Wednesday feel like a Monday, spill your coffee, you oh, know, all over oh. your dress. <laughs> That's awesome. And of course, uh, the mother of all my children is with us today, Miss Chelsea Lane Griffin. How are you doing today, Chelsea? I'm off the charts. First day of school. Yeah. Got a new first on light. That's awesome. We have the distinct honor to have with us on today's episode, the man himself, Mr. Pastor Matthew Chandler. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Chandler. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Pastor is what a lot of the small children here call me. So, Mr. Pastor, I'll Mr. take it. Pastor, I'll that's take awesome. It. Well, uh, Matt, we're all we're all huge fans of Matt, good friends with Matt. But I need to tell you a little secret that the Griffin family's had for a long time. You need to know this, Matt, that my wife has a secret selfie collection of Matt Chandler, where she takes pictures of you and with you. And she's been working on this for a while. And I don't know, I, I hope you're not aware of this, but we'll have you like, oh, you don't even see us. We're over your shoulder taking, I just want to know, what's your response to that? Are we the first? I am. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know, probably. <laughs> I wouldn't think that you're the first to kind of snap a secret selfie, but that there's a collection of them. I have to believe not only are you the first, but more than likely the only. That's awesome. That can't be true. Because Matt, I was Chelsea, worried. Why, why would you say that can't be true? Well, I started going to the village when I was like 23, way before I met Adam. The village and your preaching was very formative um, in my faith. Loved it. And uh, so then, you know, by marrying Adam and getting, you know, to be at like village Christmas parties and stuff, you know, one time you were just right behind me. We're, you're, we're back to back. And I have like pictures of the back of your head just because I'm like, hey, here I am. I'm here <laughs> with Matt Chandler. So, um, so why why wouldn't you just ask me to take a picture with you? I'm right there. That's not One time funny. I did. Uh, yeah, that's not that's interesting. True. That is yeah. true. That's not as fun. That yeah, is the, an interesting Yeah, the all. pictures look stalkerish, and that's what I like about them. But one time I did, and, and I got a picture with you at a, at a fundraiser. But yeah, the way you Acts look so willing. You look so willing. It looks boring. Yeah. But yeah. The other <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's. We'll get a really awkward one next time I see you. <laughs> that's okay. perfect. Or maybe you'll get one, and I and I won't see you. Yeah, that's more likely. <laughs> Cassie, before we jump into some questions we've got from Matt, I know that you've known Matt for a really long time, and you've probably heard him talk about being a parent a thousand times. Any favorite stories of Matt's household that are, are worth retelling? Oh, man. I really love the story when one of your kids was, I guess, inclined on top of the fridge for Halloween candy or M&Ms, and then they tried to cover their sin by singing the cleanup song. Yep. Uh, when they were like two or three. And just the idea that like, even as little kids, they like are trying to cover it up. Like, oh, I'm just cleaning up at 7 a.m. It's fine. Total, total depravity on <laughs> That's display. That's so good. That's a good, I just love that story. All right. Well, Matt, a lot of people know about you as the pastor and you can, I would love it if you could just tell us about Matt Chandler, the husband, the father, like for the listener who don't know, what does your family look like? And if we were to ask your kids, your wife, what kind of man is Matt Chandler? What kind of man are they describing? Yeah, well, I have three children. Audrey is 18 now, which is just still hard for me to get my mind around. Uh, then Reed is 15. And then um, Nora is 12. Uh, each with very different and distinct personalities. Lauren and I have been married for 22 years. 
uh, got married young. So we're still young with an 18 year old. And, uh, and I know, like, if you ask my wife or my kids uh, about me, they would lead with I'm fun or funny. And I am, Lauren would oftentimes call me the rec coordinator of our home. <laughs> uh, I want to play. I want to laugh. I don't want to sit around. I'm not, I'm not interested in binge watching a show. I want adventure and mischief and good mischief, holy mischief. Let's, let's put the word holy in front of mischief <laughs> just so it doesn't get misunderstood. And so I want to laugh and play. And I know everybody would lead with he's fun. Uh, if you kept pressing them, I would also be the one that dad is the one that makes sure that we're where we're supposed to be on time. I am the only human being in my house that cares about such things. <laughs> I am a hurry up and wait person. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I am not a, I am not a get there on time person for anything. I, I want 10 to 15 minutes early. Uh, and that's in, for whatever reason, I'm sure if we dug into family of origin stuff, I could figure it out, but I feel late if I'm on time. And so I'm the guy that's always like, Hey, let's get going. And they're like, well, you know, we've got 40 minutes and I'm like, I know. So, but let's get, go ahead and just get started. <laughs> and, um, I think they would probably describe me as supportive. You know, my thing with all of my kids in particular is if you're all in dad's all in. And, and we've lived that way. I mean, I, we own horses. I wear cowboy boots now. Like when I met <laughs> specifically, well, everybody on this call would have never imagined that I would own horses and cows and cowboy boots. And I mean, I was Seattle and, and the Bay area and, and yet Audrey getting into barrel racing kind of pulled us into this world. And man, I, I'm just me wherever I am, which is can't really halfway anything. And then just went all the way. And so I drive a truck now and wear boots almost every weekend to preach in and country music, uh, wear Wrangler jeans and that. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are some, I, I, I haven't been able to fully embrace, but, but that would be an example of like me just going, Oh, you love this. Well, I love that you love this. And I can see how it's growing you uh, into the kind of woman or young man that I want you to be. Yeah. So I'm in. And so I think they would describe me as that. Lauren would describe me as playful. Uh, that's in that same line as, fun, but I, that, that's how, that, that's how they would describe me. That's great. You mentioned y'all were young when you had Audrey, uh, and this, you know, this podcast is about spiritual leadership in the home, family discipleship. Since you guys were so young, what were like, who were some of the influences and, um, the people that you guys look to, to help shape and kind of form your idea of what spiritual leadership in the home looks like? Yeah, we, so I'm kind of a just avid researcher, uh, especially because neither one of us uh, you know, Lauren grew up a church kid, but other than maybe prayers at night before she went to bed, I, I don't know that she would describe any kind of intentional discipleship that was in place. And so uh, I, we just tried to read everything we got our hand, we could get our hands on. And we did a lot of long conversations with older men and women and some of them like here in the church. And it was a little odd because here I'm the pastor going, hey, talk to me. Uh, how did you, so Gilbert Montez early on was a great gift to us. Brian Miller, uh, who's still on staff here, incredible gift to us. Uh, all their kids loved Jesus, uh, grew up and, and we just wanted to go, what did that look like? What do you regret? What did you, so, and then we had a couple of, uh, people who had a much more difficult time with their kids and we wanted to have the conversation with them of what did that look like? What were you, what did you try? What do you wish you would have done 
over and if you could do it again. And we gleaned a lot more. We gleaned more from those relationships than we did from anything we read. Mm, That's good. Well, we're hoping that our podcast helps a lot of parents and families guide conversations with their kids. Can you tell us about some of your favorite memories of spiritual conversations you've had with your kids? Yeah, I'll, I'll give two. I'll give one that's kind of a silly one and then one that's a little bit more recent. And I thought it was a really beautiful one. When Reed was, gosh, he must have been three or four. And we had been kind of working with him to understand the gospel story and and catechizing him in a very real way. And he's on his big wheel and he's riding and I'm walking there beside him and it's right around Easter. And so he rolled up next to me and just said, hey, dad, um, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And I had been working on the resurrection too. You know, you got to include the resurrection in that. And so I just asked him on a walk, well, what happens next, buddy? And I could see his little wheels spinning and him thinking about it. And then all of a sudden, just this giant smile, you know, spread across his face. And he, in a very loud voice said, and then the Easter bunny gives me candy. (laughs) And so that's one of those moments you're like, we've completely failed. How is this my child? And then we got to, you know, this is just a funny example of from the very earliest stages we're trying to have these conversations with our kids and yeah. we weren't waiting till we thought, oh, they can understand at this level or they can understand. We just wanted to talk with them about the kingdom, about the gospel as often and in ways that we thought they could understand. And so um, that, that's kind of a funny one with Reed where we got to go, OK, yes, I mean, we're going to we're going to have some candy, but that's kind of a play thing that we do. The resurrection is the real thing where that's just some sort of shadow and it's a real weak shadow, but, but what really happened, right. And, and had an opportunity to dive in a little bit more deeply with him. And then just recently, my, my oldest daughter had what I would just describe as a pretty vivid, profound dream where I was sitting on the kitchen Island, uh, sitting by the kitchen Island with my wife and Audrey came down, she was a little teary and she just began to describe this dream to us, which which for us, the, the picture was one of deep forgiveness. I, I don't want to, this is her story to tell, not my story to tell, but this beautiful picture of being cleansed and and made new. And, and so we got to just talk about how kind the Lord is to visit us in real intimate ways mm-hmm. and how oftentimes we, although by faith, we, we want to trust that what the word of God says is true. We want to cling to that in good times and bad times. There are times where the Lord in his mercy is going to break through like this and touch a deeper part of you to let you know, he really sees you and loves you. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, that, that was just in the last month and has just continued to encourage me as a dad. That's great. I love both of those examples. The first one you shared is, it's cute. It's funny. And I think it's relatable. We see our kids make a lot of, you know, kind of faux pas. I think it would help listeners a lot because they see you in kind of a, a, the pastoral light, in the, in the stage light. But you are a parent and all of us are imperfect parents. I think it would help them a lot to know that in the Chandler home, there are also some parenting fails that happen. Things don't always go according to plan. When you think about your own spiritual leadership, yeah. does anything stick out to you where, man, that just did not go the way I had hoped? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there's probably more of those than there are of times that I think I really nailed it or like it all came together like I had envisioned in my mind. I, I, I can oftentimes think of like, Clark Griswold's excitement around Christmas 
and vacations with the family and how his expectations don't line up with reality. And, and then he's, he's stuck looking like a crazy person. <laughs> and, and I think that's actually a fairly good kind of picture of what it's been like uh, to try to parent my children. So uh, I, I think probably 30% plus of our family devotions have just felt like they landed nowhere. Like oh. the, the win was that I didn't have to spank anybody or, <laughs> you know, make anybody go to their room or... And so I needed to learn early on to play the long game and understand that family discipleship builds. It's not a singular event, but it's this ongoing relationship with the gospel at the center. And man, I was not prepared. I was not prepared for Audrey to become a teenager Mm. and all that would come of that. I thought I was, um, I thought my heart was ready for that and it just wasn't. And so there was a moment where I had to go wake her up I I had said some things earlier in the night that I felt real justified in saying at the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I had to go wake her up and just say, Hey, I know I'm not a safe place for you right now. And I hate that. I don't want that. Will you forgive me? I want to be a safe place for you. And she tried to explain what had led to my, my saying some things that were really unfatherly to Mm -hmm. say to her. And um, I just said, hey, listen, I don't, this isn't even about what that argument was about. This is about what God has called me to be for you and my failure at doing that. So I've asked God to forgive me. And I I don't want to go to bed tonight without asking you to forgive me. Mm-hmm. I have not been safe and I want to be safe for you. And um, that one, that, that was probably one of my more significant failures as a dad. I, I don't know that, like I said, when I'm ta- telling some of these stories, Part of the story belongs to the kid, so I always want to be real careful. Yeah. So I want to talk about the nature of the argument, just that we were in one and I said things that, and I think almost every parent can relate to the same things that you wish you could take yeah, back. Absolutely. But that that night for both of us, as we moved through the rest of our teen years, it ended up being a kind of Ebenezer, a kind of moment where I realized the kind of dad I wanted to be, and she realized the kind of dad that I wanted to be. And I think that made a world of difference as we navigated some more difficult days ahead. And thanks for that transparency. I, I want, like, I feel like the pressure for parents to be perfect is so real. And it's such a lie we buy into that like one mistake might send our kids like spinning in a wrong direction. Uh, what encouragement would you give parents who are listening, who are feeling that constant pressure to parent perfectly and maintain every commitment? How would you pastor them if you could? Yeah, the I think... For moms and dads, a significant portion of their time has to be cultivating gospel belief in their own hearts and lives and and a real understanding that although the spirit dwells inside of me and that I am a son or daughter of God, I I am still in the process of sanctification, uh, which means I've got a lot of failure in front of me and I will not with that failure spend all the grace that Jesus has put in me by his death and resurrection. Right. And if I can get that into all of my life, I I can get that into my parenting. Yeah. I I hesitate just to say, get it into your parenting because it's bigger than parenting. It's Mm -hmm. the way that we live and the way that we understand our life is going to work that I am going to have to, like, I just know this. I have on three separate occasions stood in front of the church that I pastor and asked them to forgive me Mm. and owned a mistake that I either made 
or that, yeah, let's just say it that way, a mistake that I made. And I don't ever want to do that again. And the chances of me not doing that again are slim. I'm 47. If I was 67, I might be able to say, I might be able to get out of this without having to do that again. (laughs) But I am, I refuse as a pastor, as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, I am refusing to believe that I am anything other than a human being saved by grace through faith alone. And I want to live my life under that. I am human. I, I am not superhuman. And anything that smacks, leans, teaches, or, or says to me that I'm more than that, I'm, I'm fast to reject and get aggressive towards. Yeah. That is so toxic to the kind of man I want to be that I, I get aggravated. I, get, I can feel in my spirit, even now as I'm saying this, uh, like a divine hatred for the kind of nonsensical, you're more than human. And I'm not, and nobody listening to this is, and that means I have failure in my future. Doesn't matter how much I read, doesn't matter how much I pray, doesn't matter how much I memorize, doesn't matter who my mentors are, doesn't matter if I run every decision through a grid of 50 wise people. I'm human and I'm gonna blow it. And what makes grace unbelievable is it lets me know that it's waiting for me there. Yeah, that's great. And if you, can get, if you can get that in your life, not just your parenting, but your life, because if you're just yeah. trying to apply that to your parenting, it doesn't work that way, hmm. right? This is a believe it over your life or don't. Hmm. And that's why I've always been so passionate about making sure people understand what the gospel is. Hmm. Because if you're going to parent well, you have to understand there's grace for you because you're not going to nail it. And then that frees you up from having to pretend that you're more than human. You, you show me parents who don't ask for forgiveness from their kids. Uh, I'll show you parents that don't understand the gospel. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good. I feel very encouraged personally by that. Uh, we have a lot of parenting left to do in our home. Matt, in yeah. the family discipleship book, uh, you talk about the 13th birthday for your kids being like a rite of passage. Come on. For those who haven't read the book, don't know about that, can you tell us how y'all came up with this milestone and what it is? Yeah. So I had read quite a bit about rites of passage and specifically, I I found a lot of it when I was doing series on manhood and womanhood and things like that. And how historically, specifically for men, there were these significant rites of passage where a boy no longer had to wonder, am I a man? But that they were, there was a process by which now you're a man. You are no longer a boy. And in varying cultures at different times, that occurred at different ages. Uh, you know, in Spartan culture, I think it was as young as seven. They were taken away from their mom and they were thrown in to become warriors, right? Well, I thought seven and warrior training was a little much for <laughs> Dallas. Uh, so it's it's just a different period of human history. (laughs) So what we wanted to do is we wanted to, Lauren and I sat down and just said, we want to create kind of a three-step process with the third step being a declaration of you are a woman, you are a man. Yeah. And so with that, with that said, the first step in this three-step process is the 13th birthday. 
we we liked that because now you're a teenager, yeah. right? You're you're no longer a, a preteen or whatever you want to call that awkward space between. It, it's thirteen, and so what we do is they have their normal birthday party with their friends. And then we have a night with them and none of their friends are there that night. This is for Audrey. It was a group of women for Reed. It was a group of men. And what we've asked them to do, these are all, these are all people that are in our inner circle. They do life with us. We do vacations together. We do ministry together. Uh, They are our people. They have been our people by the grace of God for 12 to 15 years. Uh, I have been at the hospital for the, birth of every one of their children. They have been at the hospital for the birth of my last two. Mm. Uh, They weren't there for Audrey because um, she was the first one and some of them weren't really in that inner circle yet. So all that said, God's done a beautiful job of giving me a deep and rich community. And on that night, those, those men come in, those women come in. And what we've asked them to do is call out of our child what God has put in them. We don't want you're such a good basketball player or you you know you're you're so pretty you're that's we're not interested in that. Yeah. What we want them to hear from you is I see that God has put a sense of justice in you. Here's mm. how I see this. Here's how I'm asking God to protect this and then to call them up into um believing the gospel and that God's got a call on their life and that he was actively involved in putting that in them. And then my role at the end of the night is to acknowledge we're entering into an awkward season, a season where you're not quite a woman or man, but you're not a child anymore. Yeah. And so you're going to be pulled by both of these forces. You're going to want the independence of manhood or womanhood. And yet the pull of being childish is still going to be profound. I want you to hear me say that me and your mother and these men or these women, we are here for it. There's nothing you're going to do that's too embarrassing. There's nothing you can do that's going to make us feel any different about you. Mm. We are your team. You are never alone. If you, don't, mm. if you don't feel safe coming and talking with mom and dad about something, then look around you. This is your team. This is your room. And then from there, we lay hands on them and we bless them. And then I ask, I've asked for all of those people that said those things to write them in a letter form. And then I keep those letters. And then as the kids get older on certain moments and times, I have actually, and this literally just recently happened with Reed, who's 15. I just had Reed stand in front of me in the living room and read three of those letters out loud Mm. to me. He was just going through some things. He was frustrated and angry. He was, didn't know what to do with what he was feeling. And so I said, great. And I pulled out Trevor Joy's, Josh Patterson's, and mine. And I said, read them out loud to me. Hmm. And he was like, well, that's dumb. And I was like, yeah, indulge me. Dad's dumb. He doesn't try to hide that. So (laughs) let's go read, read them out loud. And you could see him remember what was spoken over him. Hmm. You could see him begin to regain some confidence about what is most true about him. And then what's been really fun is we started that with Audrey and now our entire crew does that. So yeah. literally like two weeks ago, I was at another family's son's 13th. And, and so it's become this thing for all of our kids. Mm-hmm. And, and it felt like to me a couple of weeks ago, I was like, this is what community centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ looks like. Yeah. 
We're loving each other's kids. We're supporting one another through uh, the the highs and lows of parenting, quick to remind each other of God's grace for each other. And that's what we do on the 13th birthday. And I, and I think it's been powerful. That's great. Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. Um, Okay, so our next question, Matt, is something we're going to ask all our guests this season. And it's if you could go back when your first child was born and give yourself one piece of advice about the Chandler family spiritual life, what would you say? Yeah, that's actually an easy question for me. I wish somebody would have told me to play the long game. Mm. That don't put too much emphasis on any one given moment. Mm. But just play the long game. Because here's the reality. Like, I don't have any less concern for Audrey now that she's 18 and going off to school. I don't have any less love, any less worry, any less, if anything. So it's not like, it's not like you've got to do this 18 years and hope you nail it. Yeah. This is a relationship until you die. Mm. Concern, hope, yeah. delight, friendship, laughter, worry, tears until the day you die. That's what you signed up for. Yeah. And, uh, I, I don't know why I wasn't thinking that way when the kids were little. I, I was thinking, oh, don't screw this up. Don't screw this up. They're in their formative years. Don't screw this up. <laughs> I, I mean, that was, that was a terrifying idea that yeah. I could screw them up. And I wish somebody would have just said, hey, hey, breathe and play the long game. You're going to get a thousand shots at nailing this. You're not going to nail them all. And then, then you're going to nail some. Yeah. And, and that you're intentionally wanting to nail some 
is going to produce some things in the long run that are that are more than you can imagine right now. And so that's it for me. And that's probably not any surprise to you guys that somebody just like, hey, calm down. <laughs> just breathe a little. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to no, be fine. No, it's so, it's so good to remember because with when you've got littles, everything feels so, every decision you make feels like the weight of the world hinges upon it. You know, like yeah. whether it's pediatrician or if you're going to sleep train. I mean, like when they're really little, it's like, and you get this decision fatigue, but it's just so nice to remember there's this big picture and this whole mural of their life that's being painted that God is sovereign over. And and then I think what's been wild for me is there have been times I've remembered I did something and I'll go and like, hey, when you were little, do you remember this? I, I, I mean, I just, I feel like I need to apologize to you for that. And they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> so it's funny to me, like these like major gaffes. And I'm yeah. talking about like when they were eight, not when they yeah. were two, you know? <laughs> I, I think of these major gaffes and they're like, I don't, I don't have any memory of that at all. I was like, well, never mind then. So, <laughs> I yeah. retract my apology. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm making it up. <laughs> well, Matt, I can, I don't know, but I can imagine uh, that it could be kind of hard to grow up a Chandler around the village church, that there's a lot of expectation, a lot of pressure, uh, potentially from other people. I was just wondering, could you share with us personally, like how, how do you and Lauren prepare your kids for being the lead pastor's kids, for being Matt Chandler's kids and have them also at the same time not despise the church for what it demands of you? Yeah, we have been very aggressive on this idea, uh, mainly because I have a child who has not liked that from the very earliest days. Um, this child thought other kids wanted to be her friend because they were my child. And mm. then, so, so it was, uh, it was super challenging with one of them. And then I have two that they just love it. So we have tried to do two things. Um, one, we have let them know over and over and over and over again, all of mama and daddy's expectations on you have been spoken. We, we don't have anything we're holding back. So if other people have expectations on you that are different than ours, then you don't need to carry the weight of that or worry about that. Mm -hmm. And if anybody ever says anything to you that's somewhat silly, you can feel free to come tell mom and dad about that. So that if I had some kids village volunteer or something that like shamed my kid for not knowing the verse or something like that, I wanted to know about that mm -hmm. and let them know that I was a safe place for them to come and share that with me. And uh, so that was one thing. We wanted to just have honest conversation about it. The second thing is uh, I have taken them with me as often as I possibly can so they can see what daddy does. It's good. And then another thing is when the church has blessed us, which they have, I, I have, sometimes I've got to pinch myself that the village is as kind as they are to us. I have let them know that this thing we're getting to do, we're getting to do because the church appreciates all that they have had to sacrifice for me to be the pastor there. And so that has gone a long way. So, you know, there would be, when there's a Christmas bonus, uh, we, I'd take them out for their favorite, you know, Japanese steakhouse deal. And, and when we're sitting there, I want to let them know, hey, we're here tonight because the church appreciates all that you guys have given up. That's good. In mm -hmm. order for me to be the pastor here. So I haven't made it about how hard daddy works. I've made it about, mm. it cost you for me to be the pastor of this church. And the church wants to make sure you, you know they're grateful to you. That's good. And so that's the third thing that we've tried to do. So straight up conversations about it, taking them with me to let them see it. 
And then the third thing is just letting them feel the blessing from the the church. That's great. That's so good. Yeah. Matt, right now, our culture seems to be, maybe some people say increasingly secular or that the secular voice is the loudest right now. With our culture in its current state, what do you think makes family discipleship so important right now? Well, in a vacuum, that's what's going to fill it, right? Mm -hmm. So if moms and dads won't take on this challenge, and I think one of the reasons Adam and I wanted to get the book out there is to just say, hey, guys, you can do this. Yeah. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need to, to know Greek and Hebrew. You don't. You can do it. And I, I still, I can feel that. I just so want moms and dads to go, this isn't as hard as you think it is. Yeah. yeah. But if we refuse to step into that space, then everyone is going to step into the space instead of us. And the world is is increasingly secular and hostile. It's not mm-hmm. that it feels that way. It is. And, and even in the conservative South, more and more and more, it, it's growing um, anti-gospel. Yeah. Um, if it's not overtly, we hate Jesus, it's just anti-gospel. It's just a completely different worldview uh, about how to handle life, how to think about life, how to think about other people, how to... And, and if we won't do what's right there in front of us, then the world's going to do it for us. And, and we're going to wake up and we're not going to recognize or not going to understand how this person that grew up in our house could believe what they believe or embrace what they embrace. And, and so I, I think it's of utmost serious right now for parents to understand how powerful they are in the lives of their children and Amen. not by the lie that we don't want to tell them what to believe. Yeah. Well, right. Somebody's going to tell them what to believe. Yeah. Let right. me tell you, I want to be the ones that tell my kids what to believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not throwing that out for TikTok to do. I, yeah. I'm telling them what to believe. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're giggling, but there are, if you've oh, been know. on TikTok, there's people like, hey, I've got a, you know, I've got a master's in theology from such and such and homosexuality. The word didn't appear in the the Bible until 1947. And, and, and you're like, well, okay, but the concept of it is, so I don't want that person theologically training my child. Yeah. I'm right. doing it. And, right. and I want them to be able to spot that person as being disingenuous at best and a straight up liar at, at worst. Yeah. Yeah. While we acknowledge parents are the primary disciple makers, like what you're saying, like we want to be the ones theologically forming our children, laying the foundation. What role does the church play or has the church played like in you and Lauren's discipleship of the kids? Yeah. At the right time, God has just sent other women and other men into our kids' lives to reaffirm what we're trying to teach them. And so in each of my kids' cases, there was a worker in Kids Village or a worker in the student ministry, a man or a woman that kind of came alongside of them and just encouraged them, spoke life into them, called up out of them, taught them, reminded them. And, and so the church is a, in a very real way for us, has been a partner in wanting to grow children that fear the Lord. That's awesome. I, I think a, a lot of people may think that as the as a pastor and as a theologian and as a leader, you just have a, a special advantage over them. I love what you're talking about. That man, every every parent is in their family for a reason, and it's a theological reason. It's it's to lead the family the Lord has given them, and they can do it. I I think you said so simply, 
you know, it, it's not as hard as you think it is. I think that's so good. Uh, for, Come on. for you, when you think about all the Lord has asked you to do, not just as a pastor, but as a husband and as a father, and you think about your own household, what scriptures come to mind for you? What has the Lord said that you point to as a guide for how you lead your home or, or the scripture that comes back to mind for you again and again as you lead your home? Yeah. So for me, it's always been the Shema for Lauren and I. And I think when people, you know, get into Deuteronomy 6, it feels overwhelming to them. But what it felt like to me is the Lord just laying out there, just let this be something you talk about all the time. Yeah. Right. And so if you think about the Shema there in Deuteronomy 6, where when you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk on your hand, on your forehead, on your doorpost, on your doorpost, on your, I, I never read that went, oh my gosh, it's everywhere. I have to do this all the time. <laughs> I always read that as this needs to be a part of daily conversations that, and, and honestly, even as I thought about your, your question of spiritual conversations, I could say before the Lord, we just kind of always talk about this stuff. Yeah. And so, and we have always just kind of talked about this stuff. And we're doing that where we're playing a lot of games and we're laughing a lot. I mean, they're not dressed like Martin Luther in the house and <laughs> chanting. I mean, we're doing messy, fun, hard life together. And we're just talking about these things at dinner. We're talking about these things. If we watch a show, we're talking about these things as they interact with their friend groups. So we're talking about these things as mom and dad fail or as mom and dad succeed. We're talking about these things when I come back from a trip and get to testify to what God's been up to. Amen. We're talking about these things when they're confused about what to think about what just happened in Washington, D.C. or what's going on in Afghanistan and yeah. what, what that means for this is just what we do. And so the Shema, I think, is, is not trying to say the only thing you get to talk about ever is, you know, the, the gospel. It, it's, no, it, it's at the center of our home. Yeah. And, and so it bears its weight on, on everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and that's just what we've done. And that was kind of the philosophy of how we want to parent is as often as we can, let's bring these things back around to the word of God and what it says and God's heart for us. And, and that's been such a big component of our parenting is God's heart in this is the Bible says one of the things that's true about Christianity. Well, what's different about the Christian faith? These yeah. are phrases all the time in my house and have been since, like I said, this was, I mean, Reed was a two or three year old on a big wheel. We were trying to help him understand that the resurrection mattered. Yeah. It's good. On a family walk. It was just a family walk. Yeah. That's awesome. Before we let you go, what are the what are the prayers you have for your kids right now? If our listeners want to pray for the Chandlers, what can we ask God for on your behalf? Man, that's great. So Audrey is about to start school and we would love for her to just find a good solid church where she's at, where she's going and that she would find friends that love Jesus and that she'd fall into a crowd that continued to encourage and build her up in her faith. For Reed, Reed Reed's just got a, a growing, really beautiful relationship with the Lord and that God would just continue to, to stir up in him all that it means to be a man and to embrace his kind of journey towards manhood. Uh, sweet Nora is, man, she's just, she's never not had a good day, I don't think. She's just the, <laughs> the complete and maybe soul 100% optimist in our home. 
And so just that she would continue, she's, she's got a group of older high school girls right now that are taking her, and you guys will know what this means on, on here. I don't know if the listeners will, but they're, they're taking her to Edison, which is a kind of a, a well-known coffee shop in our area and doing a little Bible study with her. And, you know, she's 12, just more and more and more that she would own her faith. And then that Lauren and I would just continue to love one another deeply, partner with one another in gospel ministry and opportunity with one another. And man, I deeply and desperately want to finish well the race that God's marked out for me. Yes. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, Matt, I'm so appreciative, or I so appreciate your honesty, your vulnerability, your your leadership. Um, You've made a big difference in the Griffin House. I know in the Bryant House, you've You've made a big difference in our church. I'm grateful for you. And I, I really do hope our listeners will, will lift up these needs before the Lord and that you'll get to see the fruition of them, that God hears us, that he will respond and, and do exactly what we just asked him. Love that. Well, listeners, thank you so much for listening today. You can join the conversation by finding us on social media. Thanks for listening. And if you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, you can give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast and share this episode with one of your friends. 